I was going to ask, uh, you know, I, I was talking to a J witness camp and he was saying how like the name of God is so important. And I was thinking about the, you know, tetragrammaton, the four letters and yeah, that the name is so important. Like any thoughts to that? But but you were kind of you you would talk about like well the name's not so important because the name doesn't tell you so much about it but in that case the name is so important it's the four letters and, and it represents something you know and each and you know the, the rabbi was talking about like each like jot each little like you know dot crown you can tell a whole thing from it but I guess that's just your stories about it but you could get like great understanding like any thoughts to that yeah yeah you, you have to have like a real mystical bent to be able to understand that but I was thinking like even like anybody's name like if everything is like a symphony and also people kind of sometimes reflect their names like. Ryan's they sometimes act like Ryan's and Joe's they sometimes act like Joe's and maybe there's like a divine aspect of that and like a symphony of sounds connected to the people like any thoughts to that yeah it's certainly possible but to them it is a means a weapon as trickery and defiance serve children for the same purpose their mind is the unbribable understanding today we should call that a one-sided culture of the understanding and add the warning. Cultivate not only your understanding, but also, and especially, your heart. Socrates did the same. For, if the heart did not become free from its natural impulses, but remained filled with the most fortuitous contents and, as an uncriticized avidity, altogether in the power of things, nothing but a vessel of the most various appetites, then it was unavoidable that the free understanding must serve the bad heart. And was ready to justify everything that the wicked heart desired. Any thoughts? Any thoughts? No. Well, I know, like, Socrates, you know, Nietzsche didn't like Socrates because he said that Socrates, like, tried to bring people to the world of the forms and the divine, where, where Nietzsche was like, no, stay in this world. You know? And he thought that Socrates was too Apollonian, whereas there's a Dionysian, you know, the emotional in, in this world, as opposed to just the intellectual. Like, any thoughts? But, but you, you talk about that, like the, that, yeah, that there, there is a hierarchy and, and the intellect is higher and stuff. But at the same time, you also acknowledge that, you know, that even people can get in the flow through the, through killing and sex and Dionysian stuff, right? They can increase your level of life. It's more difficult, but they still can. Like, any thoughts? No. Is that true or? That's my understanding. Therefore, Socrates says that it is not enough to use his understanding in all things but it is a question of what cause one exerts it for we should now say one must serve the good cause but serving the good cause is being moral hence Socrates is the founder of ethics certainly the principle of the sophistic doctrine must lead to the possibility that this blindest and most dependent slave of his desires might yet be an excellent sophist and with keen understanding trim and expound everything in favor of his coarse heart. What could there be for which a good reason might not be found, or which might not be defended through thick and thin? It does. I think what he's saying is like, if, if you have a good intellect and you can rationalize anything, you say like, oh, I killed that guy. Well, you know, he was a bad guy. And oh, well, I just had sex with that guy's wife. Well, I mean, that, that could be a good thing because it's t getting him away from his attachments. And, you know, in this world, you, should, you know what I mean? How you can rationalize anything through, like, a spiritual lens. And, and that, that could be the danger of that. Any thoughts of that? Or intellectual lens? Yeah. Like, I, I think of that, that could be a danger of the transpersonal thing. And, and I think that C.S. Lewis even talked about that. Where he was talking about, like, you know, he didn't like your, your idea of, like, you know, that the universe is just, like, evolving towards something. Because then he was like, well, then people can just do whatever they want. And they'll be like, yeah, whatever. It's not like I'm going to go to hell or anything. It, this world is just an evolutionary world going toward like you know the next step and stuff and and yeah so what I just had sex with a guy's wife it's not that big of a deal we're just like an evolving thing remember that was his uh, that was his criticism of that any thoughts yeah that's that, that's a misunderstanding of what I was talking about you have any thoughts on no but yeah so but yeah it, it is true that that people can like rationalize. You know, that stuff like, oh yeah, I just I just had sex with with my with my mom. Well, that's you know that that represents my desire for oneness. And you, you you look at the spiritual aspiration, you say that, but then you can say, oh yeah, that just represents my desire for oneness and return to the womb, return to oceanic consciousness, and and then you can start rationalizing anything. But you would say that that's not the flow, right? Or is it? Any thoughts? Yeah, that's not the flow. That's that's living in a fantasy world. 
But at the same time, though, who's to say? I don't know, and he does. Well, therefore, Socrates says you must be pure-hearted if your shrewdness is to be valued. At this point begins the second period of Greek liberation of the mind, the period of purity of heart. Do you know if the Mac stores are open, Grandpa? First was brought to a close. They usually, the they, they usually were open seven days a week. I don't know about now. But the heart remained worldly minded, remained a servant of the world, always affected by worldly wishes. This coarse heart was to be cultivated from now on, the era of culture of the heart. But how is the heart to be cultivated? What the understanding, this one side of the mind, is reached, to wit, capability of playing freely with and over every concern awaits the heart also everything worldly must come to grief before it so that at last family commonwealth fatherland alike, are given up for the sake of the heart that is of blessedness the heart's blessedness daily experience confirms the truth that the understanding must have renounced to think many years before the heart has ceased to before so the sophistic understanding, too, had so far become master over the dominant ancient powers that they now needed only to be driven out of the heart. And it does? No. In which they dwelt unmolested, to have at last no part at all left in the man. This war is opened by Socrates. And not till the dying day of the old world does it end in peace. The examination of the heart takes its start with Socrates. And all the contents of the heart are sifted. In their last and extremest struggles, the ancients threw all the contents out of the heart and let it no longer be for anything. This was the deed of the skeptics. The same purgation of the heart was now achieved in the skeptical age, as the understanding had succeeded in establishing the sophistic age. The sophistic culture has brought it to pass that one's understanding no longer stands still before anything, and the skeptical that his heart is no longer moved by anything. So long as man is entangled in the movements of the world and embarrassed by relations to the world, and he is so till the end of antiquity, because his heart still has to struggle for independence from the worldly, so long he is not yet spirit. For spirit is without body and has no relations to the world of corporality. For it the world does not exist. It does. Nor natural bonds, but only the spiritual and spiritual bonds. Therefore, man must first become so completely unconcerned and reckless, so altogether without relations that the skeptical culture presents him, so altogether indifferent to the world that even its falling in ruins would not move him before he could feel himself as worldless, that is, as spirit. And this is the result of the gigantic work of the ancients. The man knows himself as a being without relations and without a world, as spirit. Only now, after all worldly care has left him, is he all in all to himself? Is he only for himself? Is he spirit for the spirit? Or, in plainer language, he cares only for the spiritual? In the Christian wisdom of serpents and innocence of doves, the two sides, understanding and heart, of the ancient liberation of mind are so completed that they appear young and new again, and neither the one nor the other lets itself be bluffed any longer by the worldly and natural. Thus the ancients mounted to spirit and strove to become spiritual. But a man who wishes to be active as spirit is dr- And it does? No. Do you think that it's true that, that women tend to be more spiritual more often? Like, not, not, not like all women, but may, why would that be like a cultural phenomena and everything? If it's not true biologically, why, why culturally? If it is true, any thoughts? Because they say that like, like women tend to be more spiritual and feeling more, whereas like men are more rational, right? Or any thoughts? Yeah, that tends to be the case. I, I think that was de- influenced largely for centuries because the man was the the hunter-gatherer and the woman was the protector and preparer and protector. Any other thoughts? No. 
was thinking too, maybe, uh, yeah, it, it also in that, that reflects personality types where there's more men who are third, fourth quadrant rating, where women are more first and second quadrant rating than Dust. Yeah, could be. But do you think it's also true that women are more selective with mates than men in general? Like, you know, they did the studies where, like, men would, women would go up to men and be like, do you want to have sex? And the men, would, for most of the time, would say, like, sure. But the men would go up to the women, like, do you want to have sex? And the women would be, for most of the time, would say no. Like, 90% of the time would say no. Whereas, like, 90% of the men would say yes. Like, any thoughts on that? No. So, so I mean, people in the evolutionary perspective say, yeah, that makes sense because men want to spread their seed more, whereas women need to be more selective. But it also, you know, in a cultural aspect, you could say it's because, you know, for women, they're smaller. So, they're, they, it's more dangerous to be alone with a man. Whereas, for men, they're bigger, you know. So, it's not so dangerous. And Like, any thoughts? What do you think about that? Any thoughts? No. Again, see, it's hard for me to go back and forth between trying to understand what this guy is saying and then then entertain another thought. And mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not trying to be obscure. It's just hard for me to go back and forth. Yeah, well, I'd like you to just, you know, yeah, think, think about the questions more. Set themselves formally. The tasks which really give something to do with the spirit and not to mere sense or acuteness which exerts itself only to become master of things. The spirit busies itself solely about the spiritual and seeks out the traces of mind in everything. To the believing spirit, everything comes from God and enters him only to the extent that it reveals this origin. To the philosophic spirit, everything appears with the stamp of reason and it enters him only so far as he is able to discover within reason, that is, spiritual content not the spirit then which has to do with absolutely nothing unspiritual with no thing but only with the essence which exists behind and above things with thoughts not that did the ancients exert if they did not yet have it no they had only reached the point of struggling and longing for it and therefore sharpened it against their too powerful foe the world of sense for what would not have been sensuous for them since Jehovah, or the gods of the heathens, were yet far removed from the conception, God is spirit. Since the heavenly fatherland had not yet stepped into the place of the sensuous, etc. They sharpened against the world of sense. They Any thoughts? No. Their sense. Their acuteness. To this day, the Jews, those precocious children of antiquity, have got no farther when with all the subtlety and strength of their prudence and understanding, which easily becomes master of things and forces them to obey, they cannot discover spirit, which takes no account whatever of things. The Christian has spiritual interests because he allows himself to be a spiritual man. The Jew does not even understand these interests in their purity because he does not allow himself to assign no value to things. He does not arrive at pure spirituality. Hey, Doc. No. A spirituality such as is religiously expressed, for instance, in the faith of Christians, which alone, without works, justifies. Their unspirituality sets Jews forever apart from Christians, and the spiritual man is incomprehensible to the unspiritual, as the unspiritual is contemptible to the spiritual. But the Jews have only the spirit of this world. The ancient acuteness and profundity lies as far from the spirit and the spirituality of the Christian world as earth from heaven. He Any thoughts? No, that's probably about enough for today. All right. Okay. Later. Hey. Therefore, we spy out the weak points of everybody, for which, it is well known, children have a sure instinct. Therefore, we like to smash things, like to rummage through hidden corners, pry after what is covered up or out of the way, and try what we can do with everything. When we once get at what is back of things, we know we are safe. When we have got at the fact that the rod is too weak against our obduracy, 
we no longer fear it, have outgrown it. Back of the rod, mightier than it, stands our obduracy, our obdurate courage. By degrees, we get at what is back of everything that was mysterious and uncanny to us. The mysteriously dreaded might of the rod, the father's stern look, etc. It does. some movies like one of the movies where there's a black janitor and he's like god you know what do you think about that <clears throat> no I, I, i've never observed that maybe maybe it's just like the idea that it comes from a place where you don't expect it you know yeah could be or maybe like you, you should treat everybody with respect or something yeah there, could there's be. even this one artist who who paints uh, god as a black woman like, she'll put God on the cross as a black woman or God, you know. Like, all the pictures of God, like, from the Renaissance and stuff. Like, you know, God touching Adam, she'll paint it as a black woman. You know, any thoughts? No. Isn't that what Alan Watts said? She's, she, she, she's black? Yeah, any thoughts on that? <clears throat> no. How, how come you don't have any thoughts? Other, other than that, uh, um, Nobody can say what God is, who God is. It's also taking out of like conventional, like it's it's a contradiction. It's taking out of the conventional way of looking at it, doing the opposite to break you out of conventional thought, right? Yeah. But uh, but it is interesting though. Like the Bible does portray God as a man, you know, it, as as a man, and, and the idea behind that is you know, a lot of people say it's because it's patriarchal and stuff. Even like, you know, the Hindus, they, they portray the, the main gods as men, like Vishnu and Shiva. Like, any thoughts? Well, that's that's the culture. That's the, that's the software with which they try, they which they use to try to explain the unexplainable. But, you know, like, and it's also like the idea of like, as above, so below. Where the, you know, like even like the Asian culture, when they depict their gods, they, they would depict them as more like communal, like their culture was, you know. And it's this idea that, you know, the, the, as above, so below, that they portray the gods, the, the archetypes and everything as this world is because they're both connected. There's a oneness. Like any thoughts? No. But then also like the gods, they, they would commit incest and stuff. And they would do taboos that humans can't do. Like what do you think about that? to think about that maybe it's like portraying the human's desires like what they would want to do so they, they don't they could feel like they don't need to do it so much because the gods do it like it's kind of like an outlet listening to the stories or something yeah could be. like, like a, what what's it called like a a fuse what, what's what's that called the outlet fuse or whatever mm, pressure release valve yeah like like a release valve or something i don't know any thoughts Something like that. Could be. It's a different word, but but also I was thinking that like, but, but at the same time, it, it, it portrays like you know the Hindus will portray God, but then also like even the the Jews they would worship Asherah, who was a woman who's who's God's consort, right? And the Hindus they would worship you know also Kali and Lakshmi, like the consorts of Vishnu and Shiva. Like any thoughts? No. But then they would they they would depict them as more like uh, material based, whereas the man is more you know 
<clears throat> transcendent in a way. Like, any thoughts? No. But do you think that's like that's also like a reflection of the biology, like that the woman has to bear a child, so she's more connected to the earth and she's more attached to this world. Not necessarily, but you know, symbolically. Like, any thoughts? Yeah, could be. So I mean, we don't want to say that everybody's the same. There is differentiations within reality, man and woman. It's it is a continuum of social construction, but at the same time, and everything is one, and everything's a quadrant or your reflection of the quadrant, or as you would say, energy or consciousness or whatever. But but the point is like, but there is differentiations within it, even within the quadrant. And women sometimes have certain aspects and maybe more material aspects. In that case, any thoughts? No. But then also sometimes men are more material. But anyways, but yeah. So then. But then, like, the man would represent the more transcendent and everything, but then also, like, <clears throat> but also the mythologies were, were completely symbolic, and they did point to the flow, which is, like, the transcendence of the ego, or, or not necessarily the, the ego, but, like, not of dual consciousness. Like, any thoughts? No. Coming to blows with reason. We care nothing at all about it. Do not meddle with it. Admit no reason. We are not to be persuaded to anything by conviction and are deaf to good arguments and principles. On the other hand, coaxing, punishment, and the like are hard for us to resist. This stern life-and-death combat with reason enters later and begins a new phase. In childhood, we skip. Any thoughts? Also, the idea that sometimes, like, the, the God, the man is more associated with reason, whereas the woman's more associated with, like, irrationality and, like, emotion. Like, any thoughts of that? But I was thinking though that even like Athena, she kind of like was a goddess of wisdom, right? And also even in the, the Hindus, they had Saraswati was a goddess of knowledge, right? Any thoughts? And she was a river goddess, no. right? The, the Saraswati River. Never about without racking our brains much. Mind is the name of the first self-discovery, the first undeification of the divine. That is, of the uncanny, the spooks, the powers above. Our fresh feeling of youth, this feeling of self, now defers to nothing. The world is discredited, for we are above it. We are mind. Now, for the first time, we see that hither. Any thoughts? What does he mean that we are mind? Any thoughts? No, I don't know. Uh, my train of thought has been interrupted, so I've kind of. Uh, I haven't followed his line. Kind of argument yet. Two, we have not looked at the world intelligently at all, but only stared at it. We exercise the beginnings of our strength on natural powers. We defer to parents as a natural power. Later we say, father and mother are to be forsaken, all natural power to be counted as riven. They are vanquished. For the rational, the intellectual man. There is no family as a natural power, a renunciation of parents, brothers, etc., makes its appearance if these are born again as intellectual rational powers they are no longer at all what they were before and not only parents but men in general are conquered by the young man they are no hindrance to him and are no longer regarded for now he says one must obey God rather than men from this high standpoint everything earthly recedes into contemptible remoteness, for the standpoint is the heavenly. The attitude is now altogether reversed. The youth takes up an intellectual position, while the boy, who did not yet feel himself as mind, grew up on mindless learning. The former does not try to get hold of things, for instance, to get into his head the data of history, but of the thoughts that lie hidden in things, and so, therefore, of the spirit of history. On the other hand, the boy understands connections, no doubt, but not ideas, the spirit. Therefore, he strings together whatever can be learned, without proceeding a priori and theoretically, without looking for ideas. Any thoughts? No. As in childhood, one had to overcome the resistance of the laws of the world. So now in everything that he proposes, he is met by an objection of the mind, of reason, of his own conscience. That is unreasonable, unchristian, unpatriotic, and the like, cries conscience to us, and frightens us away from it. Not the might of the avenging humanities, 
Not Poseidon's wrath. Not God, far as he sees the hidden. Not the Father's rod of punishment, do we fear. But conscience. We run after our thoughts now and follow their commands just as before we followed parental human ones. Our course of action is determined by our thoughts, ideas, conceptions, faith. As it is in childhood by the commands of our parents. What? Do you have do you have an idea of a, a kind of a summary of, of what he's uh, proposing? No, I don't. See, it, it, yeah, it's rather disjointed. <clears throat> yeah, a lot, a lot of, a lot of people because... say a lot of people say that he's hard to understand. So, for all that, we were already thinking when we were children. Only our thoughts were not fleshless, abstract, absolute. That is, nothing but thoughts, a heaven in themselves, a pure world of thought, logical thoughts. On the contrary, they had been only thoughts that we had about a thing. We thought of the thing so, or so. Thus we may have thought, God made the world that we see there, but we did not think of, search, the depths of the Godhead itself. We may have thought, that is the truth about the matter. But we did not think of truth itself, nor unite into one sentence, God is truth. The depths of the Godhead, who is truth, we did not. Hey, boss. No. Touch. Over such purely logical, theological questions, what is truth? Pilate does not stop, though he does not therefore hesitate to ascertain in an individual case what truth there is in the thing, whether the thing is true. Any thought bound to a thing is not yet nothing but a thought, absolute thought. To bring to light the pure thought, or to be of its party, is the delight of youth, and all the shapes of light in the world of thought, like truth, freedom, humanity, man, illumine and inspire the youthful soul. But when the spirit is recognized as the essential thing, it still makes a difference whether the spirit is poor or rich. And therefore, one seeks to become rich in spirit. The spirit wants to spread out, so it. It does. No. To found its I still haven't. I still haven't put together a perspective. This world, the world just conquered. Thus then, it longs to become all in all to its. Yeah, the guy warned at the beginning too. Before you heard it, that he said that the, the beginning of Max Turner is very difficult to understand and stuff. He says it gets better later, but. perfected spirit and must first seek the complete spirit but with that I who had just now found myself as spirit lose myself again at once bowing before the complete spirit as one not my own but supernal and feeling my emptiness <clears throat> spirit is the essential point for everything to be sure but then is every spirit the right spirit it does. oh hey grandpa uh you haven't been uh, answering the emails as consistently or persistently or consistently. That's correct. How come? Oh, yeah, because you've been doing so much of that work? Yeah. The right and true spirit is the ideal of spirit, the Holy Spirit. It is not my or your spirit, but just an ideal, supernal one. It is God. God is spirit. This supernal Father in heaven gives it to those that pray to him. The man is distinguished from the youth by the fact that he takes. Hey, does? No. Do you think that that when they talk about spirit, it's more related to like healing and everything? Yeah, I don't know. Like when people talk about that, and also I was gonna say like you know pe people associate like that like healing with women. What, what do you think about that? Do you think that's true? Stereotype. They say like that women are more into feelings and men are more into actions. Yeah, yeah, that's it. No. But but what about the idea of uh, like you know my, my friend was saying that like if, if when you're texting a woman 
like if you like hit the right emotions, press the right buttons, and she'll have sex with you. Like on the texting, it's all about all about feelings. Like ain't that sad? <laughs> I have no thoughts about that. fancying it amiss and wanting to improve it, model it after his ideal. In him, the view that one must deal with the world according to his interest, not according to his ideals, becomes confirmed. So long as one knows himself only as spirit, and feels that all the value of his existence consists in being spirit, it becomes easy for the youth to give his life, the bodily life, for nothing, for the silliest point of honor. So long it is only thoughts that one has, ideas that he hopes to be able to realize someday when he has found a sphere of action. Thus, one has meanwhile only ideals, unexecuted ideas or thoughts. Not till one has fallen in love with his corporeal self and takes a pleasure in himself as a living flesh and blood person. But it is in mature years in the man that we find it so. Not till then has one a personal or egoistic interest. It does. different than love yeah what, what, what is what does it mean in the Bible when it says love bears all things and endures all things well yeah it, it sees the whole picture love is a way of seeing which leads to a way of being <clears throat> do you think that that sterner is like the opposite of love or any thoughts I don't know self with it feels anyway yet know how to occupy itself with itself. The youth, on the contrary, throws the object aside, because for him thoughts arose out of the object. He occupies himself with his thoughts, his dreams, occupies himself intellectually, or his mind is occupied. The young man includes everything not intellectual under the contemptuous name of externalities, if he nevertheless sticks to the most trivial externalities such as the customs of students' clubs and other formalities. It is because, and when, he discovers mind in them, when they are symbols to him. As I find myself back of things, and that as mind, so I must later find myself also back of thoughts, to wit, as their creator and owner. In the time of spirits, thoughts grew till they overtopped my head, whose offspring they yet were. They hovered about me and convulsed me like fever fantasies, an awful power. The thoughts had become corporeal on their own account, were ghosts such as God, Emperor, Pope, Fatherland, etc. It does. No. Kind of. Kind of. Sounds like he's making. He sounds like he's making some very gross generalizations. Yeah. If I destroy their corporeity. Well, I think he's associated with the right wing, and, and I think that right wing people tend to make gross generalizations. I hope I'm not making a gross generalization, but any thoughts of that? <laughs> any thoughts of that? Could be. No. 
then I take them back into mine and say, mm. I alone am teleporting. And now I take the world as what it is to me, as mine, as my property. I refer all to myself. If, as spirit, I had thrust away the world in the deepest contempt, so, as owner, I thrust spirits or ideas away into their vanity. They have no longer any power over me, as no earthly might has power over the spirit. It does? No. Uh, do you think that, that God is related a lot to grace? Could be. I was gonna ask, like, you know, I heard someone say that, like, you know, that you have to, you have to get grace. You have, with grace, you have to get it from the sacraments. You have to get grace from the sacraments. What, what do you think about that? I don't know what that means. Do you know what the sacraments are? Oh yeah. What are they exactly? Uh, communion and baptism are the two sacraments of. I guess I guess that kind of that kind of represents the oneness consciousness like like baptism that'd be like grace like transcending the self like dying to your old self or it does. Yeah. The child was realistic, taken up with the things of this world. Till little by little he succeeded in getting at what was back of those very things. The youth was idealistic, inspired by thoughts, till he worked his way up to where he became the man, <clears throat> the egoistic man deals with things and thoughts according to his heart's pleasure and sets his personal interest above everything. Finally, the old man, when I become one, there will still be time enough to speak of that. End of chapter. I'm not really sure that made too much sense to me, but, but let's, let's see what it is. Did that make sense to you? Or? I'm Amstin. No. This is a LibriVox report. All LibriVox recordings are... I hate, to, I hate to say it, but more part of the problem was too many interruptions. Yeah. LibriVox.org Recorded by Matt Messerschmidt in Freiburg, Germany. Chapter 2 Men of the Old Times and the New One How each of us developed himself, what he strove for, attained, or missed, what objects he formerly pursued, and what plans and wishes his heart is now set on transformations his views have experienced, what perturbations his principles, in short, how he has today become what yesterday or years ago he was now. This he brings out again from his memory with more or less ease, and he feels with a special vividness what changes have taken place in himself when he has before his eyes the unrolling of another's life. Let us therefore look into the activities our forefathers busied themselves with. Section A. Custom having once given the name of the ancients to our pre-Christian ancestors, we will not throw it up against them that, in comparison with us experienced people, they ought properly to be called children, who will continue rather to honor them as our good old fathers. But how have they come to be antiquated, and who could displace them through his pretended weakness? We know, of course, the revolutionary innovator and disrespectful heir who even took away the sanctity of the Father's Sabbath to hallow his Sunday, and interrupted the course of time to begin it himself with a new chronology. We know him, and know that it is the Christian. But does he remain forever young? And it, it does. No. Is he today still the new man? Or will he too be superseded, as he has superseded the ancients? The Father's most doubtless have himself begotten the young let us then keep this act of generation. To the ancients, the world was the truth, says Feuerbach, but he forgets to make the important addition. A truth is the truth they tried to get back of. You're making a lot of noise, you have any left? No. So, so he's talking about truth. What, what do you think is so important about honesty, Grandpa? Well, if you're lying, that's always trying to make things happen. That's a strategy for making things happen. And what's what's so good about just being honest? Right there? Well, you're living you're you're living with integrity. You're you're not making believe. You're not living in a fantasy. 
But is what's what's more real sometimes? Sometimes the fantasy is more real than the reality. What do you think about that, Anthos? No. Like I'm thinking of like myths, right? They they speak to the higher truths, right? Yeah. But but what about the idea too of like the noble lie though? Like you know, Plato said that sometimes like in the, in the ideal society that the, the leaders would lie to the people, but it would be for their best interest. Like any thoughts there? Well, is that a lie or is that a metaphor of the truth? But like he, he said that you know he would tell them like oh yeah uh we're, we're they, they would have like a, a sex sex festivals where they would tell the people that they were just randomly having sex they, they did a lottery and then this is the woman you get to mate with but really they would but they would tell the people that so they wouldn't feel bad but really they would determine it based off of you know who's the most fit and they would have them mate with each other and who's not fit they would have them mate you know, with less and, and stuff like that, but 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 they would just say it was just it was just random lottery, but it wouldn't. But they said it was a noble lie because it was for the best interest. Like any thoughts to that? No. So I mean, but I guess like sometimes in the flow, a lie would be okay. If you're in the, any thoughts to that, or, or what or no? No. Get lost. Really did. But that that that, that could seem like it's making things happen. Maybe that's why that society didn't work out. But I don't know. But any thoughts to that? What is meant by those words of Feuerbach will be easily recognized if they are put alongside the Christian thesis of the vanity and transitoriness of the world. For, as the Christian can never convince himself of the vanity of the divine world, but believes in its eternal and unshakable truth, which, the more its depths are searched, must all the more brilliantly come to light and triumph. So the ancients on their side lived in the feelings of the world and mundane relations, such as the nature of ties of blood, or the truth before which their powerless eye must bow. The very thing on which the ancients set the highest value does? No. is spurned by Christians as the valueless, and what they recognized as truth, these brand as idle lies. The high significance of the fatherland disappears, and the Christian must regard himself as a stranger on earth. The sanctity of funeral rites which sprang a work of art like the Antigone of Sophocles, is designated as a paltry thing. Let the dead bury their dead. The infrangible truth of family ties is represented as an untruth, which one cannot promptly enough get clear of, and so in everything. If we now see that to the two... Hey, Doug? No. So what he's saying is that like in the... In the <clears throat> ancient societies, like he's kind of this is why they say he's like Nietzsche. They compare Stern and Nietzsche. He says like in the ancient societies, you know, they, they looked at no, nobility and bloodline, your, your bloodline and and you know your family, and they looked at these things as, as very high and exalted and, and noble and everything. But then he says that what Christianity did was they started just, it said no, you know your family and your homeland. Like the ancient people, they looked their homeland highly. But he's saying that Christianity said no, your homeland's not important. Oh, your no, your bloodline, your blood ties are not important. Oh, your your family, that's not that important. And it, you no, know, you're a stranger on this earth. And it, any thoughts of that? No. So I, you know, it, 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 that could be making things happen. Saying like, oh, that's not important. Oh, that's uh, you know, to to try to make yourself inferior, to make yourself superior. But at the same time, that could be trans transpersonal consciousness, where you where you're breaking free of of the ego and you know blood ties and saying like oh we're all the same because we're the same blood but instead looking at people as individuals like oh well the, that group right there that tribe right there well that guy right there he ha he has the same same personality as me and the same proclivities as me whereas that and also that, that woman there too she can be a good leader and it's not just about these like you know blood ties and family and man and woman like that, that the ancients looked at like any thoughts yeah Sense. But then at the same time, though, like maybe, you know, I don't know. Opposite things appear as truth. To the one, the natural. To the other, the intellectual. To one, earthly things and relations. To the other, heavenly. The heavenly body. Jerusalem, it is above, etc. It still remains to be considered how the meantime and that undeniable reversal could come out of antiquity. But the ancients themselves worked toward making their truth. Let us plunge at once into the midst of the most brilliant years of the ancients, into the Periclean century, 
Manasophistic culture was spreading. And Greece made a pastime of what had hitherto been to her a monstrously serious matter. The fathers had been enslaved by the undisturbed power of existing things, too long for the posterity not to have to learn, by bitter experience, to feel themselves. Therefore the sophists, with courageous sauciness, pronounced the reassuring words, don't be bluffed, and diffuse the rationalistic doctrine. Use your understanding, your wit, your mind against everything. It is by having good and well-drilled understanding that one gets through the world best, provides for himself the best lot, the pleasantest lot. Thus they recognize in mind man's true weapon against the world. This is why they lay such stress on dialectic skill, command of language, the art of disputation, etc. They announce the mind is to be used against everything, but they are still far removed from the holiness of the spirit. Hey, does? Hello? Gamma. Hey, Gamma. So can you think of some some that you would do if like you're in a seminar or anything or that any that that you like when you're like Buckminster Fuller seminar or something, anything that he told you guys to do like okay now everybody get together and or or, or now you know do the anything can you think of any good ones? <clears throat> well, I'd have to think about it. I usually just made them up on as I go. Yeah. Any other thoughts? No. All right. Uh, have you ever heard of Max Stirner? <clears throat> What's her last name? Max Stirner. No. So he's an egoist, and, and he was at the same time as Farbach, and but I think that he kind of was against the idea of Marxism, and, and he was more of the idea for nationalism, I think, maybe. He was an egoist. I know is what they call mm. him. But you want to hear what he has, want to hear his thing? Mm. Yeah, that's fine. ...truth brought out by fuller elucidation, or even at every one which I thought needed correction. It might have been within my province, if I had been able, to explain all the allusions to contemporary events, but I doubt whether anyone could do that properly without having access to the files of three or four well-chosen newspapers of Sheerness time. The allusions are clear enough without names and dates, to give a vivid picture of certain aspects of German life then. The tone of some of them is explained by the fact that the book was published under censorship. I have usually preferred, for the sake of the connection, to translate biblical quotations somewhat as they stand in the German, rather than conform them altogether to the English Bible. Do you think that the importance of, like, uh, what's the importance of contradictions, Grandpa? Any thoughts? Somebody contradicts you, or when uh, there are contradictions. contradictions. Well, I, I don't know what to say. I, th I think it, I think it takes. I guess. The, uh -huh. I guess the main thing is that you don't hold hold to them for dear life, for saving your, for being superior. I suppose that's one of the great things about a con contradiction. I'll say. I'll say you can't mean. I would say it could break you out of uh, intellectual conceptualization, so that you can yeah. see because because reality is is very you know mystical and and there's a higher divine, you know, meaning matrix going on you know and everything that someone can believe is just one aspect of the meaning matrix that the meaning matrix can play with. It's a playful matrix, and and you yeah. and it, it can it can co corroborate with it or not depending on. Your participation within that realm situation. Any thoughts? Yeah, that's good. I am sometimes quite as near the original Greek as if I had followed the current translation. Where German books are referred to, the pages cited are those of the German editions, even when, usually because of some allusions in the text, the titles of the books are translated. Stephen T. Byington. End of front material. Next section, The Ego and His Own by Max Stirner.
translated by Stephen T. Byington. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Matt Messerschmidt in Freiburg, Germany. The Ego and His Own by Max Stirner. Introduction. All things are nothing to me. What is not supposed to be my concern? First and foremost, the good cause. Then God's cause. The cause of mankind. Of truth. Of freedom. Of humanity. Of justice. Further, the cause of my people. My prince. My fatherland. Finally, even the cause of mind. And a thousand other causes. Only my cause is never to be my concern. Shame on the egoist who... He does? Not yet. ...thinks only of himself. Let us look and see, then, how they manage their concerns. Those for whose cause we are to labor, devote ourselves, and grow enthusiastic. You have much profound information to give about God, and have for thousands of years searched the depths of the Godhead, and looked into its heart so that you can doubtless tell us how God himself attends <coughs> to God's cause, which we are called to serve. And you do not conceal the Lord's doings, either. Now, what is his cause? Has he, as is demanded of us, made an alien cause, the cause of truth or love, his own? You are shocked by this misunderstanding, and you instruct us that God's cause is indeed the cause of truth and love, but that this cause cannot be called alien. Because God is himself truth and love. You are shocked by the assumption that God could be like us poor worms in furthering an alien cause as his own. Should God take up the cause of truth if he were not himself truth? He cares only for his cause, but because he is all in all, therefore all is his cause. But we, we are not all in all, and our cause is altogether little and contemptible. Therefore, we must serve... Hey, Duff. No, so, so he's kind of going against Farbach. Remember, Farbach was saying that, you know, man is God. You know, that God is man. But but, for, but it seems like, you know, Sterner's kind of saying the opposite. He's like, no, God is, you know, way great. You know, any thoughts? So it's like a contradiction, but any thoughts? No. And, you know, the idea could be maybe both are true, you know? Yeah. Higher cause. Now, it is clear. God cares only for what is his busies himself only with himself, thinks only of himself, and has only himself before his eyes. Woe to all that is not well-pleasing to him. He serves no higher person and satisfies only himself. His cause is a purely egoistic cause. And uh? No. How is it with mankind whose cause we are to make our own? Is its cause that of another? And does mankind serve a higher cause? No. Mankind looks only at itself. Mankind will promote the interests of mankind only. Mankind is its own cause. That it may develop, it causes nations and individuals to wear themselves out in its service. And when they have accomplished what mankind needs, it throws them on the dung heap of history and gratitude. Is not mankind's cause a purely egoistic cause? Well, uh, I guess when he's, he's talking about mankind's cause, he's just talking about the ego's cause, I guess. I don't know yet. Yeah, people well, people can compare him to Anne Rand, I think, and, and Nietzsche, right? Because he seems like an egoist, right? I, I don't know yet. That's a, I, I think that people do. They compare him to like Anne Rand, right? I have no need to take up each thing that wants to show its cause on us and show that it is occupied only with itself, <clears throat> not with us, only with its good, not with ours. Look at the rest for yourselves. Do truth, freedom, humanity, justice, desire anything else than that you grow enthusiastic and serve them? They'll have an admirable time of it when they receive zealous homage. Just observe 
of the nation that is defended by devoted patriots. The patriots fall in bloody battle or in the fight with hunger and want. What does the nation care for that? By the manure of their corpses, the nation comes to its bloom. The individuals have died for the great cause of the nation, and the nation sends some words of thanks after them and as the profit of it. I call that a paying kind of egoism. But only look at that sultan who cares so lovingly for his people. Is he not pure unselfishness itself? And does he not hourly sacrifice himself for his people? Oh yes, for his people. Just try it. He does. No. Show yourself not as his, but as your own. For breaking away from his egoism, you will take a trip to jail. The sultan has set his cause on nothing but himself. He is to himself all in all. He is to himself the only one, and tolerates nobody who would dare not to be one of his people. And you will not learn by these brilliant examples that the egoist gets on best. I, for my part, take a lesson from them, and propose, instead of further unselfishly serving those great egoists, rather, to be the egoist myself. It doesn't? I, uh, no. I guess instead of serving other egoists, serve your own egoists. That's what he's saying so far. God and mankind have concerned themselves for nothing, for nothing but themselves. Let me then likewise concern myself for myself, who am equally with God the nothing of all others, who am my all, who am the only one. If God, if mankind, as you affirm, have substance enough in themselves to be all in all to themselves, then I feel that I shall still less lack that, and that I shall have no complaint to make of my emptiness. I am not nothing in the sense of emptiness, but I am the creative nothing, the nothing out of which I myself, as creator, create everything. Away, then, with every concern that is not altogether my concern. You think at least the good cause must be my concern? What's good? What's bad? Why, I myself am my concern, and I am neither good nor bad. Neither has any meaning for me. The divine is God's concern, the human, man's. My concern is neither the divine nor the human, not the true, good, just, free, etc., but solely what is mine. And it is not a general one, but it... Hey, no. ...is unique, as I am unique. Nothing is more to me than myself. End of introduction. Part first, chapter one of The Ego and His Own, by Max Stierner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Matt Messerschmidt in Freiburg, Germany. Part first, man. Man is to man the supreme being, says Feuerbach. Man has just been discovered, says Bruno Bauer. Let us then take a more careful look at the supreme being and this new discovery. Chapter 1. A Human Life From the moment <coughs> when he catches sight of the light of the world and makes... Any thoughts? No. What, what do you think of this idea? You, you use a thorn to take out a thorn and the impure to take out the impure. What do you think about that? Was he talking about that? No, this is something different. Sometimes I just I just say random stuff, you know. I sometimes I just ask questions, you know. It's it's just really just questions. This, this is just incidental. This man. Right. Well, it just it, it gets me distracted. I I'm an old fart. I, I and I'm focused on one thing. It's hard for me to shift to another off and on. Yeah, but but what do you think about that guy? We use a thorn to take out a thorn and impure to take out the impure. Because it's like, you know, have you ever heard of homeopathy where people will use like, uh, they'll use, uh, you know, poison to cure poison. Like they'll just titrate poison to do like one, 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 one thousandth of a poison and then they'll give it to you and that's supposed to cure you of a poison, you know? 
or like you know the titrate like if you have a <clears throat> you know what, what do you think about that Annabeth? no no thoughts and seeks to find out himself and get a hold of himself out of this confusion in which he with everything else is tossed about in motley mixture but everything that comes into contact with the child defends itself in turn against his attacks and asserts its own persistence accordingly because each thing cares for itself and at the same time comes into constant collision with other things the combat of self-assertion is unavoidable victory or defeat between the two alternatives the fate of the combat wavers the victor becomes the lord the vanquished one the subject the former exercises supremacy and the rights of supremacy the latter fulfills in awe and deference the duties of a subject but both remain enemies and always lie in wait they watch for each other's weaknesses children for those of their parents and parents for those of their children their fear for example either the stick conquers the man or the man conquers the stick <laughs> 